We're at the beginning of the month of March, which means we have a new theme for contemplation on our calendar page. And this year the teachings presented for contemplation are teachings offered by Ajahn Chah. And the quote from his teachings that appears on the page for March says, don't see doing the dishes and cleaning toilets as doing a favour for somebody else. There is Dhamma in all of these activities, not just when you're sitting cross-legged and still. And the nice photo of Tanmoje, I think, out on Tudong somewhere in Thailand washing his arms bowl in the stream. <coughs> I think this is a, um, when I was going through these pictures and I found this quote, I was very pleased, I think it's a, 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 a terribly important principle in spiritual life um, being referred to there, which is that what we call our spiritual life or what we think of as our spiritual life is not separate from our everyday life. And there's a, a very real danger that we do split these things off. The deluded ego me that likes to control everything also likes to control my spiritual life. And so this is when I'm doing this and this is when I'm doing that and and now I'm being spiritual, I'm sitting cross-legged and still and there's incense and candles and chanting and this is being what a Buddhist does. Or in church and singing hymns and taking communion and being spiritual in church or whatever one does. From a control fanatic perspective, uh, there is a very real risk and I would say most of us are control freaks to some degree, to a large degree. And the deluded ego is a great big control freak. Yeah. There is a very real risk that we, we compartmentalize spiritual life. And, and uh, from what Ajahn Chah was pointing out, was actually we miss a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of Dhamma and all of these activities. So I think it's a, a very important point being made. And I'm... I'm um, I think it's very worth contemplating, uh, not just tonight, but through the whole month that we have ahead of us. You, you have your calendar pinned up on the wall. Those of you that don't have a calendar, please, uh, down the back there, there's a whole bunch of calendars. Please take one and have it there to remind you. Because we do need reminding. It's very easy. It's the easiest thing. Unless you're already enlightened, then I suppose it's probably difficult. But for the rest of us, it's the easiest thing 
just to follow our tendencies to want to control life, not to trust, not to trust in the power of awareness, not to trust in, in the capacity for opening up and receiving this moment for what it is and allowing discernment to inform us about reality, which is what's on offer in our Buddhist training. Instead of engaging, trusting in awareness, it's very easy for us to default to try to control, to do something, to fix the situation. And, and so being referred to here, uh, doing the dishes and cleaning toilets, basically is something we don't want to be doing. If we are approaching all of our life with an interest in the reality of this present moment, then even when we're doing something that we don't like doing, and that's what's being referred to here, you know, washing dishes, cleaning the toilets, doing the chores. You know, Jin Chai didn't say, you know, don't just see eating blackberry and apple pie with flaky puffed pastry and ice cream as doing a favour to somebody else. You see, when, you, when you're doing something that you don't want to be doing and there's this grinding going away, I don't want to be doing this, there's done in that. Yeah. Yeah scrubbing that Buddha image out in the garden. That Buddha image has gone green and I keep looking I think, I've got to get out the soda crystals and clean that Buddha image and, and another day goes by and I still don't do it. And when we're faced with doing things that we don't want to be doing, instead of just pushing away the resistance, what Lumpur Chara is encouraging us to do is to see the Dhamma in it. Now, one of the risks of the controlling deluded ego uh, practice is that we have this idea of the goal that we cling to. It's not like it's not like we're clinging to the goal. I mean, the goal of practice is irreversible, unshakable liberation. That's the goal of practice. If we knew that irreversible, unshakable liberation, then everything would be fine. But what we've got is the idea of the goal. And then our control freakery tendencies grasp at this idea. In the beginning, the idea is a good idea. It taught us about a possibility. It oriented our lives. It inspired us. It gave us energy. But then we need to loosen our grip on this goal and come back to this. What's happening now? What's happening in this moment? But so long as we're still grasping onto the idea of the goal, then we miss the moment. So I'm going to get these dishes out of the way so that I can go and meditate or get rid of this irritating person so that I can go and practice loving-kindness meditation. Yeah. In other words, get away from feeling frustrated and get my own way. So Ajahn Chah is encouraging us, don't miss it. There's a lot of Dhamma in all of these things. And so if we loosen a little bit our grasp on the goal, the idea of irreversible, unshakable liberation, we just, 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 just drop it for a while. Just stop thinking about that. And, and doing what we do is concentrating on our breath or, or slow walking and doing our techniques so that we can have an experience and get closer to this imagined goal, if we just let go of that a little bit and 
come back to, well, doing the dishes, what does it feel like? Feet on the ground. Temperature of the water. Holding the plates mindfully, carefully. Am I rushing? Mm. What am I rushing about? What's the hurry? I mean, there's always something more to do. So if we can remind ourselves, the goal of practice in the beginning is an idea. But if we let go of that a little bit and come back and we make our goal of practice more to do with actually trusting, trusting in the power of awareness to inform us, rather than believing in an idea of what's going to happen in the future. Yes, in the beginning we can have these ideas about enlightenment and liberation, that's, that's fine, but as we go along, if we keep clinging to these ideas, then we miss the moment. And what often happens is that we make our life more of a struggle. We can make the spiritual life into a struggle. And the Buddha didn't want us to struggle more. Ajahn Chah didn't want us to struggle more. He wanted us to struggle less. And so how do we struggle less? Well, we trust. We value this open-hearted, whole-body-mind, here-and-now, judgment-free awareness. We trust in this. Now to do that, maybe we feel threatened. So this trusting is not as dynamic as striving to achieve the goal. And that's true, there is a time for striving, but if our striving is, if there's only a, one part of us striving, which is what often happens, yeah. this is a, the idea of me being a spiritual person striving to become more spiritual, then what about the rest of us? Yeah. There is a very real risk that we can, as Ajahn Chah did, miss the Dhamma, miss the opportunity. So we've all come across the various obstructions that we come across in, in practice and you know, the distractions, we want to be peaceful and then the mind gets distracted with, you know, we have the classic five distractions of, of greed and ill will and sleepiness and worry and doubt, you know, often referred to as the hindrances. And if we're still clinging to the idea of the goal, then whenever these things arise, we see them as a problem. I've got a problem because I've got so much desire. I've got a problem because I've got so much ill will. I've got a problem because I'm sleepy. I thought I had problems before, now I've got all these spiritual problems as well. <laughs> as if I didn't have enough problems to start off with. And it's not difficult to do. I'm speaking from experience here. It's very easy to create spiritual problems. But if we have let go a little bit of our idea of the goal and feel the feeling of trusting. What does it feel like? When you, when you trust somebody, when you're with somebody you trust, you feel safe. And what does that feel like? You feel you can relax, you can open up, you can be receptive and available. It's a very nice feeling to be with somebody you really trust, isn't it? If you reflect on that, it's a, a very nice feeling. The whole body mind feels really good when you feel safe and trusting. Well, if we feel safe and trusting in our orientation towards the spiritual life, that's very different from this seriously flawed, contracted, problem-ridden me struggling to get spiritual. 
So I think it's important that, uh, and, and very worth considering, that if our effort in spiritual practice appears to be increasing the problems and, and, and struggles of our life, well then maybe we need to change our relationship to it and, and, and just contemplate maybe this word trust. Yeah. Trusting in awareness. And if we're trusting in awareness, then when, when desire, for instance, comes along, like maybe you're caught up in, in shopping online, and, um, and in your meditation practice, whenever desire comes, you just hindrance, wretched desire, get rid of it, come back to the breath, focus on the breath, or buddho, buddho, or counting the breath, or loving kindness, or whatever meditation technique that, that we're applying ourselves to diligently. If that's what we do every time desire comes along in formal meditation, well then in daily life, when desire comes along, the chances are we'll make it into an enemy. But desire doesn't have to be an enemy. Why would, this, why would you want to make desire into an enemy? I mean, it's terrible to have enemies. And we've got desire all the time. <laughs> Our life can be full of enemies. So we wouldn't want to make desire into an enemy. If we trust the power of awareness, we can open up and accommodate desire. We can accommodate desire. We can say, yes, desire. Yes, I want to go online and buy such and such. eBay. I don't know much about eBay myself, but I know some people really like shopping on eBay, looking for a bargain. And so they go onto eBay and sign in and, and start looking for something, whatever it is. And, and then you can stop and say, oh, here we go, I'm caught up again. And any time now I'm going to be giving my credit card details and, or just clicking whatever the button is and I'd have spent more money than I should have and then I'll be disappointed again. So stop, stop, stop. Okay. Trust. Trust in the power of awareness. Here now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness. Right, come back. This moment, okay. So sit up straight. Just for a moment. I'll buy it on eBay later, but right now I'm going to try practicing with desire. Getting interested in desire. Interested in it instead of making an enemy out of it. What's the Dhamma of desire? Ajahn Chah says there's Dhamma in all of the activities. What's the Dhamma in wanting to go shopping online? Well, let's, let's have a look at it. Get interested in it. Start with the body. Sit up straight. Feel the body. Because if we're split off in this virtual me, this greedy little gremlin running around in our mind there, imagining when we've got what we like and we're all happy again, and then on the other side of it, afraid that we've, we're going to be disappointed after all, and that whole drama that we've played out so many times in our lives already. Instead of doing that, come back to the body. Feel the body. Sitting upright. Straight back. Not tense. Relaxed shoulders. Relaxed foreheads. Trusting, interested. What's happening? Wanting. That's what's happening. I want. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Haven't done anything yet. Haven't bought anything yet. Haven't wasted any money yet. Yeah. Just be with this. If we can bring our attention, bring our interest to this. Now, you know, the reason you know we need to talk about these things is because the momentum of our conditioning <coughs> to leave the here and now to not trust in the power of awareness, which we probably at least had some confidence in at some stage in our life, but to lose this possibility and forget the refuge and to go off into the split-off imagining moment in the future of gratified me is so strong. And so it's really useful to just break the habit. Just, you know, maybe if it, even if it means 
maybe even if it just means stopping for 10 minutes before you buy something on eBay or 15 minutes or whatever it is when you make a, make a rule for yourself when I've decided I'm what I'm going to buy you say I've got to wait 5 minutes although I know actually I've heard with eBay there's a, it counts down the time doesn't it and you might lose the bargain so maybe <coughs> eBay is not a good example maybe we should be talking about one of those other sites that are not time limited so you arrive at what you want to buy and you say okay I'm going to wait 5 minutes sit upright feel wanting wanting right now you haven't even got gratification you haven't bought it yet and even when you've clicked the button you haven't got it you have to wait for it to be posted so all you've got right now is whole body mind awareness and there's this activity probably a little bit hot wanting 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 and experiment with it it's very interesting if we can develop a, a conscious relationship with this heart energy of wanting maybe there's not a need to gratify it with a synthetic substitute like gratification yeah. when we, every time we gratify our desire we're basically just putting off the next arising of desire the next itch that we've got to scratch but if we can train our awareness to get interested in the reality of it in this moment there may be a new possibility will manifest on a more subtle level with desire for instance in perhaps you've got a, a problem or you're thinking about or perhaps a meditation you, you're sitting there and some uncertainty comes up should I do this or should I do that this, this, this people often present this should I change my house is this the time to do such and such or, or have I made the right decision yeah. Yeah. maybe you've already made a decision and then did I make the right decision I want to be sure I want to be sure I really want to be sure. And the way wanting to be sure appears is so seductive. It's like that blackberry and apple pie. It really looks seriously good. Flaky puff pastry apple pie with ice cream really looks good. There's no doubt about it. That's the way it appears. But, I mean, if you eat a whole pie, you're going to eat another one? I mean, how much before it becomes ugly and repulsive? the flaky puff pastry pie in itself is not attractive it's the idea that's attractive the idea of gratification based on the memory of the last time we ate it the idea is attractive to us and the idea of being free from uncertainty is really attractive to us and so we think if I just grasp this desire to be sure I'm going to feel sure but how many times have we tried that and just got burnt and yet, if we're still, if our practice is grasping to the idea of the goal of liberation and not simply trusting in here and now embodied awareness, then we can easily fall for that. We just see this desire as a problem. I've got to get rid of this desire. But how long are we going to keep trying to push desire away? We can also, what we can also do is get interested in desire. What, what is my relationship to wanting to be sure wanting to be sure in the past I've been trying to want I've wanted to be sure and it just creates fear of, and stress yeah. and sometimes you can never be sure anyway some things are not sure like when are you going to die you can't be sure about that yeah. unless you've got some sort of special psychic powers yeah. a lot of things most things in life we can't be sure 
But the way the desire to be sure appears in the mind is very convincing. If our practices, trust in here and now embodied awareness, maybe, actually maybe instead of believing in the way desire appears, we have this healthy disbelief, a healthy disbelief in the way things appear, emerges. Say, well, actually, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in it. In their guts, you get a feeling, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in that desire to be sure. That desire to be sure really wants like to pull me in and engage it and stir the mind up. And No, I don't believe it. I distrust it. I've been fooled too many times before. And what comes from that, that healthy disbelief, is a letting go. And where did that letting go come from? It came from an interest in the reality of <coughs> desire. Not in, create, not in making desire into a problem and saying, I've got to get past it and get to the goal of liberation. So the goal of liberation, we trust in that. We trust in the goal of liberation. You know, lots of people have realized it. That's why we're Buddhists. We trust in the goal of liberation. So we can let go of our idea of it and come back to trusting in what we have got, which is awareness. So into this broad, open, accommodating awareness we receive, desire and get interested in it. And don't just believe in the way it appears. Ill will, resentment. <clears throat> Likewise, we can make a problem out of it. I shouldn't have ill will. I shouldn't be angry. You know, I know I shouldn't be angry. I still do get angry. Awful things that go on. It really shouldn't be this way. But when we add anger to the situation, does it really help? Does it really help to add anger? Is there an obligation to become angry? Well, if, we, if our orientation in spiritual practice is towards getting rid of all these obstructions, then maybe we miss the opportunity to learn from anger, learn from ill will. Before we can learn from it, we need to receive it. Before we can receive it, we need to learn to trust in our capacity to receive it. If in the past we've indulged in it or dismissed it, maybe we've got a big backlog of, of denied anger, well, you know, there's always the threat of being overwhelmed by anger, and that's, that's difficult. And so we have to approach this very carefully. Or maybe we have a habit of always indulging in anger to the point where we don't even know that we're angry. We just get angry all the time. So... Hopefully, little by little, if we found, found that our strategies of indulging and avoiding are not working, we turn towards our refuge in here and now awareness and see if we can, see if we can access this healthy disbelief. This healthy disbelief. The way anger appears is like this. When anger arises towards something, I want to hurt. I want to damage. I want to do that's what anger in it arises. We destroy. I want to break. Yeah. That it really does appear that way. Well, instead of denying it, instead of indulging in it, instead of fighting with it, instead of making an enemy out of it, how about we pull back into awareness and watch it and just for a moment say, I don't believe the way you appear. I don't believe you. Yeah. Like the Buddha after his enlightenment and Mara came to the Buddha and tried to convince him that that uh, he wasn't enlightened and and the Buddha said, I don't believe you, Mara. I don't trust you. Mm. Christians have got a similar 
similar image with Jesus in the desert. You know, Satan trying to tempt Jesus into, into power and riches. And, and Jesus just says, your place is over there. <laughs> I don't believe you. You're not running this show. So with ill will, if we are developing a here and now embodied awareness and trust in that, we can even use the word just trust and awareness. It's like saying, I go for refuge to Dhamma. Dhammang saranangachami, I trust in awareness. I trust in the capacity of awareness to feel this ill will, feel how it feels, and not become it, not deny it, not pretend it's anything other than what it is. It hurts, ill will hurts. It's like fire. When we're uneducated, when we don't know, we think that actually fire is beautiful, you know, and if we haven't got somebody looking after us, we maybe we try to play with it, and then we can create all sorts of problems. Well, similarly, if we don't get a good spiritual education, we think the fire of ill will is um, something we can indulge in, or something we can play with. And, and uh, yeah, it's um, a kind of sad thing, really, to when you watch the news and uh, hear the radio, and you hear people talking about how angry they are, as if it's somehow virtuous. <laughs> it's somehow virtuous. I'm so angry about this. And you say, well, well, you know, you're so crazy, you don't have advertisers. I mean, <laughs> it's embarrassing, really. People go, I'm so indignant about this. Uh, obviously, that poor person never got any sort of education. Yeah. But thankfully, we do have some education. Well, now we need to exercise it and see if we can give rise to this healthy disbelief. Yes, I feel dislike for this person. I don't believe it. Yeah, I feel that way, but I don't believe it. Or sleepiness, you know, the third of the so-called hindrances. Yeah. We've got the goal, the idea of the goal out there, I've got to get enlightened and I shouldn't be feeling sleepy. And you know, if you just pull back into awareness and feel how you feel, the whole body mind, what does the whole body mind awareness tell you? Maybe you discover actually what you need to do is go and sleep. You know, sleep is really healing actually. You know, sometimes Buddhists and make a big problem out of sleep as if somehow sleeping is evil. You know, sleeping is like eating too much or getting angry. You know, you shouldn't sleep. It's bad for you. And uh, well, sometimes sleep is very good for us. Sometimes sleep is very healing. It balances the heart and body and mind. But how much sleep do we need? Well, I would suggest that if we're holding on to the idea of the goal and and greedily striving for it, not with a trust and awareness, but this egocentric striving motivation then maybe we, we get a misreading on the situation and, and we get up to all sorts of gymnastics to try and do without sleep and finding the right amount of sleep I would think the best approach is to is to trust our intuition but if we attach the idea of the goal then we can't trust our intuition likewise with anxiety and worry restlessness and worry how many times have we engaged in anxiety thinking it's all going to come to an end to find out it was totally groundless and how many times have we engaged in worry I said the wrong thing I upset that person I should have said this and then you go and talk and say no I didn't even notice it (laughs) what are you talking about here you know, worried ourselves stupid, worried ourselves sick, literally. We feel nauseous with worry and anxiety. 
And so if our spiritual effort is to get rid of these so-called obstructions, then we can make an enemy out of anxiety and worry and restlessness and keep fighting it, keep trying to overcome it. Or alternatively, if we suggested, well, you know, what does this Buddhang Saranangachami mean, Dhammang Saranangachami? Trusting, going for refuge. If you go for refuge, I mean, you know, I trust in something. I trust in the power of a mature, expanded, judgment-free awareness to transform this suffering of anxiety and worry. Come back to this moment. Remember this. Encourage yourselves. Remember this. Come back to this moment. And then you see the mind proliferating. What about this? What about that? Yes, there's all that going on. Yes. And instead of making any of it, we say, welcome. The way it appears is we've got to fight it. You know, like with ill will, we've got to fight it. Like with desire, we've got to fight it to get rid of it. You know, to get rid of these things, right? With anxiety and and worry and restlessness. How about if we changed our approach and just said, yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. And in that expanded state of awareness, maybe we come across a, a new way of working with it. Yeah. The more we fight with these things, the more passion they have, often. I was saying with, with doubt. You know, the apparent nature of doubt is very threatening. It threatens my well-being, it threatens my confidence. And so perhaps the instinctual or automatic reaction to doubt would be, I've got to get rid of it. It's a sign that I'm failing because I'm doubting, I don't have confidence. Well, again, if we remember this possibility of trusting and the power of awareness, you know, by way of experiment. Yes, this is not a belief system. It's not that the Buddha said, trust in the power of awareness and you'll be saved. Hmm. Believe in the power of awareness. No, it's trust is a feeling. That, like with, and again, within a friendship, within a relationship, you develop trust. It grows incrementally, little by little. You get this feeling of, oh yeah, actually I really, I feel safe with this person. I trust this person. And likewise, with, our, with the kind of effort we make in practice, I trust in not doing anything when it comes to doubt. The temptation is when doubt goes, what about this, what about that, I've got to do this, I've got to make myself feel confident again. I used to be so good when I felt confident. Well, that was when I was an egotistical control freak, and that didn't really get me where I wanted to go. So now what I've got is I've got no confidence anymore, and I'm faced with doubt. But nothing's going wrong, I'm keeping the precepts, <coughs> so let's experiment with it experiment with interest in, in my relationship to this apparent obstruction to well-being. So Ajahn Chah's encouragement to don't think that doing the dishes or cleaning the toilets you're doing a favour to somebody else. Mm. That's, a, that's a distraction that we entertain in our minds to make ourselves feel good. You know, at least somebody would be pleased with me putting up with doing these things. Instead of coming to, I really don't want to be doing the dishes. I really do not want to be doing the dishes. I absolutely do not want to be doing the dishes. This is what it feels like to not want to be doing the dishes. There's no doubt about it. I want to go to bed. 
had a good meal, now I want to go to bed. Yeah. If that's what it was going on. I want to go and watch television or something. I do not want to go Fully not want to do the dishes. And what happens? Does it kill us? It doesn't kill us. What happens is we discover that there's a capacity in which this well, not wanting to do the dishes is arising and ceasing. We discover a capacity to that is larger than this activity which we call not wanting to do the dishes. And sometimes the very feeling of not wanting to do the dishes or the feeling of, oh, I can't take this anymore, I absolutely can't stand this anymore, this where we've pushed the, the limit of our feeling of how much we can handle, <coughs> if at that point we've prepared ourselves, we can just remember to come back, feel your feet on the floor, feel the breath passing, this moment, say at this moment, trusting, awareness, this moment, whatever cues work, and we discover maybe that awareness expands at that point. And instead of it being like, I can't stand this anymore, awareness shows, well, actually, I did stand it, I just stood it. This is a delusion, this is a story, this is a nightmare that we're living in. These mental stories that keep going over, these loops that go over and over and over again. And we believe them. And the way out, the doorway out that the Buddha offered us, the key to getting out, is the power of awareness, well-developed awareness, here and now embodied awareness. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Anamayang damavarakata sadhu karang dhammaseng Sadhu, sadhu